So hi, and welcome to Leadership Amplified. I'm Dr. Karen Morley, your host for the podcast. Now, leadership, in my view, is only valuable if it's a resource for the organisation. And it's a resource when teams and individuals benefit from being led. The podcast is designed to inspire you to get more impact with your teams, to promote inclusion, um, and it will show you how to make leadership more satisfying through conversations with wonderful guests like Brooke Young, who joins me. Now, I've known and worked with Brooke for about a decade, and she's definitely the kind of leader who's got great experiences and insights, and she's very generous in sharing them. Brooke's an innovative and engaging leader with over 25 years' experience across higher education, management consulting, and the not-for-profit sectors. Just a little bit about the leadership roles that she's held. At the University of Melbourne, she was Executive Director of the inaugural Graduate School of Business and Economics as part of the implementation of the Melbourne model. At Monash College, she led an extremely innovative design and then launch of Monash Talent, which was an online employment service. She's got a very commercial mindset, is partnership driven. And one of the things that I greatly admire about her is that she has always been an advocate for student leadership and for staff equity and for diversity. She was the founding chairperson of the Victorian Working Group on International Student Employability. And she's been a finalist in the AMI Marketer of the Year in 2015. So Brooke, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Now I've just given a bit of a potted history of you, but what it would be great to start off the conversation with is just a bit more about you and your experience in leadership and some of the key lessons that you've learned over the course of your career. Thank you, Karen. It's really lovely to be here with you. Well, I think from an early age, I was always identified as a natural leader. And that even started in the first grade when my teacher took me aside and she said, I think you have a special light and you energize people around you. And what a wonderful thing. I know. She was such a great teacher. Yeah. How encouraging. Yes. And my, my family were also very encouraging and they sort of really encouraged ideas and cultivated confidence and independence. And I felt that acceptance from my parents. And I suppose they were sort of unusual people in that my father was a professor and went into the university two days a week to teach. And my mother was a paralegal who worked the opposite days. So we always had a parent at home who had, did the primary caregiving and shared the household chores. So I saw this role modeling a very... Um, balanced, I guess, gender roles in the household. So I think from an early age, I was always able to and encouraged to communicate a vision what, of what I thought could happen. And I seem to be good at motivating others to join in the endeavor. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm also an apt, uh, natural optimist. And I always think we can do this, we can do whatever we set our minds to. So that was probably my earliest experiences of thinking of myself as a leader. Mm. That, that's just um, a, a wonderful story to hear. And I think just as you're explaining yourself, I think that is exactly what I experience in you. 
Uh, so from <laughs> you know five years old and 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 very early childhood, those that that sort of spirit um, and inspiration um, is still with you, and it yeah, and it's a it's a joy to be around, and and that that's something that we don't always see in our leadership. A lot of leadership is quite serious um, and um, focused around um, competence, but that that really. Um, motivational, inspiring, relationship-oriented leadership is is just wonderful. Um, and, and so, maybe yeah, it's easier to have fun maybe when you you're thinking of yourself as a natural leader, and it's not something that has to be forced. And people do really respond, I think, to joy and a sense of fun. And also, it's something you know. I sometimes tell students or even my staff, you don't wake up as the CEO. It's something that you have to cultivate and you have to practice. And I guess I was really lucky to get some practice from a very early age, and to have that notion that it's not only formal leadership that's bestowed upon you by someone else, but it's an informal and an internal sense that you have to cultivate as well and maybe have other people around you to reinforce. And that makes formal leadership a lot more comfortable. So that's interesting because you've spoken about both the natural leadership and then the importance of practice. So can you say just a little bit more about those two things and and how I guess in terms of thinking about uh, leaders who are more junior in their careers you know what should they take from that what if they don't see themselves as a natural leader what do they do and and then how does practice build on that well for me the purpose of leadership is to make lives better through my efforts and if people think of leadership in that way, then it doesn't matter whether you're a five-year-old or or like I am a (laughs) 54-year-old. If you're thinking about leadership is about making lives better through your efforts, then it becomes quite freeing. And so that's the kind of natural thing is understanding what is your purpose as a leader? And how can that be expressed in small ways or in big ways? And making lives better through your efforts can be something, um, and that's why we cultivate student leadership. It's you can make it better through a fundraiser that you've initiated or coordinated or worked on, as well as you can make make life better through being a CEO and working to achieve a purpose that's bigger. So I guess that's something for me that, makes the idea of leadership um, informal or formal um, available to me. I think Mm. also that leadership is a practice. I think it's a series also of beliefs and attributes and behaviors. And as a practice, then we can all practice those at the attributes and behaviors that attend good leadership. And I think that's why your books and your work is so important because it gives people like me something to keep thinking about the practice of it. I think I was very fortunate to have some outstanding leaders as mentors like um, the Dean Maggie Abernathy at the University of Melbourne that I worked with. And she was very encouraging about the importance of 
seeking feedback, or also identify what is making you most uncomfortable. When are you having the most challenges? And really, that's a good guide to looking mm. at where you need some help. Mm. That is indeed. So <laughs> there's a key key lesson from this conversation. That's right. Because you can say, this isn't, it's like asking yourself, this isn't working for me anymore. So I better expand my toolkit because my current strategies and skills aren't getting me over the line mm. with either my team or the project or whatever. So I need to go back and practice some new skills and keep changing. Yeah. So discomfort is a great catalyst for learning. <laughs> Fantastic. Absolutely. <laughs> um, were there any other sort of key lessons that you wanted to share? Yes, I absolutely think that you good leaders that I've worked with create a vision and then invite others to work with them to help achieve that vision. And they also create an environment where people feel safe to do their best work and they feel accepted that, you know, they can have a very different working style or different attitudes, but if they're working for the same outcome, that's fine. You know, and I've always been very comfortable with that. And again, that kind of goes back to my upbringing. I was one of five kids and we all had very different personalities, but we worked together to achieve a goal. And I think that's something I learned in getting along with lots of different people at work. And I also used to think to myself, you know what? It doesn't matter if I like this person or not. It's irrelevant. It's about how we're working together to achieve the vision, either the vision of the organization or maybe a project vision and how we can do that. So I think leadership is a practice leadership is as having a vision and being able to communicate and share that and accepting that people can work on the vision in different ways are good. The other thing is, um, but I definitely have had changes and the biggest challenges I've had in my career are, you know, not agreeing with, whoever's making the final call on what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be hard or feeling like a bit of a loss of purpose. And, and that is to me, I guess, been the biggest challenges. And the other challenges are when you have to put the organization's needs above individual needs. And we would see a lot of that now with COVID, like with things like redundancies Mm. or reorganizations or changing your business model. Um, oftentimes people bear the responsibility and burden of that. And so I found that personally challenging as a leader when I had to put the organization's um, needs above individuals. So, mm. but mm. that's, you know, that's just part of it. Yeah. A, a key learning um, about what what you do, how did you manage to work with or work through uh, when somebody else was making the decision and you didn't agree with it? Yeah. Well, Karen, what I would try to do is express my views and contribute in a constructive way that wasn't undermining, but just being clear about maybe offering an alternative view or suggesting we get additional evidence before going down a path or seeking other advice. And of course, as a marketer, you might also look at the input from your customers 
or, you know, what was best practice in your field. So trying to present other um, options is always good. But fundamentally, if, if your boss or the boss of the organization says, I've looked at all of that and we're going this direction, you just either have to say, yeah, fine, or you make a decision not to be there. So, you know, normally it's also okay that other people make different calls, I suppose. So, you know, you have to accept that and and then work to achieve their vision. So Mm -hmm. I guess the first thing is really, you know, try to make your point and input. And then if if that's their call, then they have to take the responsibility if they're the CEO. It's then the buck stops with them and you just have to do your best to support it. Mm And the the bigger version or uh, of that challenge is if the decision really is so you know outside of your value set or your your perspective around um, ethics, um, is that something you've had to experience, or have you you not quite gotten to that more serious extent in the differences? Um, I have had a couple of instances where I've chosen not to participate more in mm. an, an undertaking because I couldn't agree with what was going on. So that has happened to me. But in a work in a in actually in my own work context, no, I've never been compromised in terms of integrity where I couldn't continue doing my mm. work. Sometimes it's just a matter of judgment um, about it, but. No, I haven't taken it to that extreme, fortunately. And I, I couldn't, if something was really against my values, I wouldn't, I would choose to, to leave because I think we all have choices mm-hmm. and I'm not going to work on something that doesn't match my values or make people's lives better. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. So shall we turn to um, a conversation about the impact of COVID and what what is happening in terms of organisations and you mentioned, you know, that need to put the organisation's, I guess, existence um, and focus ahead of individuals. Um, what, do you, what do you see as, as the real leadership challenges that are being faced as a part of that? I think a big leadership challenge is trying to think about how you can make your organization viable and sustainable in the new environment and you know how to keep going so part of it is just is your business model going to um, continue to be relevant and we have seen some amazing example of people being very creative about how they can I'm thinking of the like even my yoga teacher you know we used to meet in the studio twice a week while she's gone online and she's had great results because she's really adapted and made it a wonderful experience for her students and in fact more people come so she's done a great job. Now that's a little bit more difficult, like in the university sector where we both have worked for a long time, where they're experiencing huge impact in terms of international student numbers, not being able to come and enroll, as well as government changes to things like fee structures and just how they offer education and making a, a valuable offer that is engaging and 
and relevant to students. So those are really huge challenges and you have to sometimes go back and look at fundamentals. Sometimes it also shows you the business was in trouble possibly anyway. Mm-hmm. And this has just really made it come crashing down, you know, crashing down. Yeah. So I think for leaders, it's about reaching out and saying, how can I solve my customers' needs? How can I still be relevant? What are the things that we do that are valuable and maybe could be delivered in a different way? Mm. Yeah. So if you are at Melbourne or Monash, what do you think you would be doing right now as the head of marketing? Oh, that's such a hard question. <laughs> I, I, would, I would be You're really the person look, for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would really be looking at what are the needs of the, in, the people who are finishing high school now. And I just read an article about how they're reporting that they would really like to experience a cohort experience again because they missed out on it in year 12. And they also feel a bit behind the eight ball because they don't feel like they had the richness of an educational experience that would prepare them adequately for university. So I would be looking at also probably the model of student engagement in typical lecture tutorial was a bit broken anyway. So I would look at all of these, I would, I would do that classic thing where you look at needs and what people have expressed and then your own educational imperative to learn the professional skills, the generic skills and the, and the content, you know, like the, the richness of, I did an arts degree initially, so I love all of those subjects the beauty of learning and try to think, how can we resolve that? How can we make that experience for these students maybe in a new way? Mm. And it's not just a matter of plonking content online. Yeah. So how do you do it? And is, and that's interesting because um, we could think about local audiences and students moving into the tertiary sector um, as well as international what could be done here to take advantage of the fact that probably a lot of students around the world have had that same kind of experience Mm. well I think and that we're probably going to be doing education online yeah well I think it would be good to look at also what is some of the amazing content being developed that's available easily and freely on the internet and who's done this really well. Mm -hmm. I I would definitely, you know, this, that's a really big question. You have to do some real design thinking and, and workshops and also with universities look at what have been all the fantastic things that they've done and how do you, what needs to still be face to face, what can be done online, but in a much more rich, um, rich experience. So look, I, it, it is a huge challenge, but there are some really great people who've achieved a lot and thought about my son-in-law was just involved in a postgraduate conference, totally online across, across three universities. He's a historian and 
they did an amazing job to really engage. They had hundreds of participants that were all post-grad or early career academics, but he also had worked in his career as a social media person. So he said, you can't just plonk things online. That's not what this is about. It's about how do you really create connections and opportunity for exchange and engagement and learning in a different way. And it does take time and effort, but they did a really great job. And they're gonna publish some of their learnings about how to conduct a conference fully online as a result of this. So we'll all be learning together, I suspect. Um, but there are new ways, and maybe this is a great opportunity for the early career people to help guide these institutions about what to do next, because let's face it, they're, they're really using, you can learn so much online anyway, and, and, mm. but what, what it doesn't do is build often the relationships or opportunity to cultivate your practice that, that sometimes you need. And that that is something that has been absolutely um, heightened our awareness of the importance of social connectivity um, and relationships. So, yeah, it will be really interesting to see how we we move ahead in this world where we can't do those things as much, but they are more important and we need to be kind of flexible and creating um, innovative new thing so I mean, that sounds uh, really exciting but let's come back to kind of <laughs> leadership in a, a different sort of way in that personal leadership because I'm also aware that you've been thinking about the impact of of COVID and um, jobs and and work uh, and the world in terms of women in particular and that's a you know that's a special um, interest for you what do you see as uh, are the particular um, issues for, for women? Um, well, obviously, there's going to be um, impact on job availability and job opportunities and perhaps their own jobs. So what I really think is that people, they shouldn't be scared to make changes now to their life or, career, or their career. And if there are circumstances, for example, if you have, an, you know, you are in a position where you're going to lose your job. It's really time to think about what about returning to study? What about reaching out to your network about opportunities? How do you really look at it as an opportunity for change and growth? So that's the positive side of it. I absolutely think people should be asking for help and accepting help that's offered. And in this, it's really good to go back to think about who might be a trusted friend or colleague or a professional that you admire or a supervisor that you've worked with in the past and feel absolutely comfortable reaching out to them and asking for some assistance or advice or access to their network. So women often are, and men, I'm sure this it's the same, but, you know, it's, it's really important to reach out and to use those in your network to assist you. Mm -hmm. And what do you think gets in the way of women doing that? I mean, I would, would say my proposition is that women often undersell themselves or they don't want to impose on, on other people's time or maybe they're worried about being rejected, you know, just not yeah, thinking they, they're important enough to take somebody's time for that help. Yeah. What would what would you suggest they do? Yes, well, it's. I think it's first of all, just tell yourself you do deserve 
help and people are happy to give it. I mean, think about your yourself. If I honestly, most people are absolutely honored and feel quite flattered if you approach them and say, I was wondering if you could make some time available to give me some advice about your industry or to point me in the right direction of some other information or someone I could speak to. So I always encourage people to prepare what they'd like to say by first of all identifying what they what their goal is, what is it they'd like to find out, who is it that they could approach, and then being very um, respectful, but also just saying, I'd really appreciate your advice and assistance. I'm looking for a new job and I just wanted to get some feedback about where I could look or, you know, somewhere else I could, you know, some, somewhere else I could approach. Most people are going to be absolutely happy, delighted to assist you. And especially during these times. And if they're not, well, they're not worth getting advice from for a start. And if, you know, and absolutely, I have on honestly, I've never had anyone reject that. Sometimes people feel they can't help you. And then all you have to say to them, that's fine. Is there anything else? Any, can you point me in another direction? Mm. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I, I really think that the other thing is to think about, have you had any colleagues or team members that you worked with that you really respect? Because I've also had situations in my career where I've reached out to, I um, you know, have a couple of friends that I just admired so much when I was working at the University of Melbourne. And we started having regular lunches or phone catch up, you know, like once a month. And it was so helpful to have their feedback and guidance. It just opens up new ways of thinking because all of us just know what we know. And once you start talking to others, they will help expand your consideration. And of course, as we know, in job search terms, there's three things you absolutely have to do. One, you have to be aware of yourself and your strengths. You have to be aware of opportunities that are out there and you have to know how to connect with employers or create your own employment. And often for those three things, you do need help and input and feedback. Mm. Mm. So basically what you're saying is it's really important to ask for help and don't hold back doing that absolutely yeah absolutely and, don't be yeah, shy yeah and and the sources of help um we often think about getting a mentor but you've also suggested the value of peer networks what other where else should women be looking for that kind of help are there any any other um kind of people or places ways of yes. doing it that you well, can think of there's there's Two, well, two other things I would definitely look at. I, for opportunity awareness, I like to read the job outlook information or those salary guides that are published by people like Hayes or other industry um, providers that give you a really good idea of where is the movement, where are the jobs. So, so what? So maybe you have worked in universities for 20 years. Well, there might be a whole bunch of growth in jobs in the health and services sector or in, you know, medical things. So you can apply your skills to lots of different areas. The other thing to look for is I have also, when I've changed jobs, for example, to a new industry is ask a mentor, like identify someone who's quite different to myself. I asked a well-known businessman who had a lot of experience 
and when I was starting to, I started a role as a partner in a consulting firm. So I asked him if he would be prepared to assist me um, to, again, to give some advice or just to talk about some of the challenges I was facing. And he was very generous with his time. We met probably every couple of months and I would ask him questions and it just really helped me to open up a different way of thinking and a perspective and possibly a more male perspective on how my partners were thinking or what they would be looking for and it helped me to cultivate more commercial acumen. So finding people who aren't like yourself also helps to build your practice. Mm. And it's not all necessarily about kind of nurturing you or uh, giving you the opportunity to debrief what's happening to you. Some of it is seeking out quite specific information Mm -hmm. about how to engage in certain problems or situations from what you're saying. Mm. Because that's another thing for, for women. It's sometimes we all, we sometimes think our competence or our experience or being nice is going to get us somewhere as an executive. And that's not always the case. So again, you have to develop different strategies that are going to be um, taken seriously in your boardroom or on the senior table. And sometimes you get that insight by talking to someone else who's more experienced at that um, Mm. type of interaction. Mm. Yeah, so do you think women are still worried about being nice? Oh, or do you yes. Think they're not they, worried enough about being nice or are they punished for being nice or rewarded for being nice? What are, what what is nice these days, Brooke? I think that that yes, I absolutely one of the things I often said to the women who worked for me who were amazing team leaders and supervisors, they were so worried sometimes about you know getting their project over the line or um having performance conversations with their staff or something. I said, you know what? You've just got to stop trying to be nice. First of all, you're already nice, so you don't have to try. And second of all, that's not your job. Your job is to get a good organizational outcome to achieve and to help people in deliver quality services and to do their job. Um, so yes, I think what happens is like, as you know, from your, you know, the work that we do on unconscious bias, girls are rewarded for being nice and sweet. And that is a strategy that works for them. But in the workplace and as leaders and as an executive, being nice I mean, we are nice kind of people any like you assume that there is a degree of that. But it's really just thinking about how can you be an ethical leader? How can you be doing, be fair, be considerate? And I love people. So it's, it's not counter to that. Mm-hmm. To be a good leader, you can really genuinely care. But it's also about having standards that you are holding people to and expectations and having the confidence to have that play out in whatever interaction and communication you're having with, whether it's staff or your supervisor or on the board table. Mm. Nice is such a vexed thing, too much, not enough, punished for it, um, need to show it. Um, It's almost like let's just move that word and that way of thinking things to the side and let's replace it with. 
yes. perhaps another set of words that don't have the same gender va valence. Yes, um, I've got and some without, words. And we're not sort of throwing it away so that, you know, women are nasty or, no. or you know, they're competitive, uh, but it's just creating a new way of speaking about how they it's, contribute, which yes. is not vexed. Like, like courageous, powerful knowledgeable wise persuasive open fair i mean i can think of a lot of them respectful but yeah mm. i think i think yeah because nice has so many we have to be comfortable being women leaders with our knowledge and power and assertiveness and openness and being wise leaders and not trying to be nice because it's way too confining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is really taking you back to the beginning of the conversation where you talked about um, your, your natural leadership, but what you talked about as being the purpose and how you saw that leadership and what leadership was for you. And it's almost like, if you use, uh, I'm thinking now, you use that as your guide and then all those other words become secondary for, for some women. It says, you know, this whole care thing and being nice is more at the front and almost mm. takes the place of the purpose, but it's yeah. not a purpose. That's um, right. So, so start having with the purpose. Guide, yeah. yeah. And for me, it's the purpose of making lives better through my efforts and through the mm. efforts of my collective team and that is my guiding purpose and and then practicing those things and i also think that early career people also if they own what they're good at and their strengths then they'll have much more confidence and and resilience when the difficulties that we're experiencing are occurring and they'll be able to have that internal authority to do life's path or career path. And they'll be able to more confidently out and say, I deserve to be helped and mm -hmm. I deserve a career and I, I can work for that. And, and people can help me along my, my way. Mm, yeah. So getting practice at saying those things, thinking those things and believing those things yeah, that, that's a really important message for, for, for women and early career women in particular. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we've talked about a lot of things and left out a lot of things, Brooke. Uh, so much in your career um, and your experience and the lessons you've learned and you've shared some of those. You think about, I mean, you can add to any of those right now, but the, the thing I'm kind of thinking about is, how do you live that leadership purpose in your future? Well, I think it goes back to what I said at the beginning about, I, I'm really interested in making a difference and, and being in the service of others or being in the service of an organization. So that's why I'm very comfortable deciding to spend my time doing things like volunteering, helping to you know, look after family and friends, also, de continuing to develop my 
my skills in different areas. And one of the things I think since I've worked, I sort of started young. I had children at 22. I was pregnant in my final year of uni, but I sort of worked for 30 years and I'm really happy also spending a little bit of time cultivating some new skills and being able to discover things that when you're busy with children and work and a, a lot of other responsibilities, you don't often get a chance to do it. So I'm going back, Karen, and, and enjoying cultivating some new skills like lino cutting, but I definitely <laughs> keep my purpose as continuing to want to make people's lives better through some of my efforts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like uh, it's sort of a scary, but also a wonderful time for that personal transition and 30 years in the workforce and contributing as a leader to so many important organizations, um, you know, is a privilege and, and it's a burden. So it's really, mm. I'm really excited to, to obviously see what happens. <laughs> um, the, you know, we don't know what's happening with the world. Let's talk about new, new normal, wherever it's going. Yeah. And there will always be an opportunity but perhaps there's more opportunity now than ever for people with that kind of purpose focused leadership um, approach to, to contribute and help us chart the way forward it was inspiring listening to you think about you know the the next wave of university courses and what they might start to be considering in a different way than they have previously so um, a lot of exciting innovation ahead yeah it's wonderful and I'm very grateful for all the opportunities in my career and the opportunities I've had to learn as a leader it's been you know very enjoyable and to be involved in something like education which is just so wonderful I've, I've loved every minute of it hmm. So any last pieces of advice, words of wisdom for the listeners, Brooke? Well, just back no yourself. Pressure. Yeah, no pressure. Just back no yourself. Pressure. Believe in yourself and, you know, just just really try to be optimistic about yourself and your future and, I, I, and reach out for help when you need it. Great. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Brooke, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of uh, Leadership Amplified and hope to um, have you on the journey in future episodes. Thanks very much. Okay, bye. Bye.